Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and Chief Evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore specific topics from the world of APIs, but through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Taki Hasegawa, Senior Machine Learning Engineer at the Trevor Project. Taki expanded on the stories I have regarding how APIs and machine learning can make a difference in our world. And I was captivated by how they are using AI for training up the next generation of LGBTQ counselors. Here we are. Let's dive in, start with the basics. Who are you and, and what do you do? Yeah, so my name is Taki Hasegawa, and my pronouns are she, they. Um, personally, I love PC gaming, meditating, and I have a cat named Simon. And professionally, I'm a senior machine learning engineer at the Trevor Project. And um, just for some background, the Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people. So very important. Thank you for being here today. So I, I would like to understand more about the role of technology at the Trevor Project and, and, and the impact that it makes there. Can you share a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So the role of uh, the technology in the Trevor Project is to help both transform our life-saving crisis services, um, which we offer three of, Trevor Lifeline, Trevor Text and Trevor Chat. And just a bit more background, like these crisis services, uh, LGBTQ youth that are having, yet yeah, are experiencing a crisis can reach out to volunteers through these services. So they can either call us, they can text us on their phone, or they can chat with us in a browser. So the, again, the role of Trevor's technology team, the role of technology at Trevor is to transform these crisis services and to also increase its capacity to serve more youth every year. Um, more concretely, what this looks like is we've expanded our digital crisis services to be 24 seven. It wasn't always that way. And there was a significant investment um, in technology and elsewhere to do that. And more recently, we've been using AI to, to do a variety of things, including uh, using AI to connect youth with the highest risk of suicide to counselors as quickly as possible, to support the moderation of our social networking site, uh, to help keep youth safe. And as we'll talk more today, um, we've also created an AI chatbot called the Crisis Contact Simulator. And this chatbot is used to help scale our onboarding and training of thousands of volunteer crisis counselors per year. So yeah, so we've been pretty expansive in how we use technology at the Trevor Project. And yeah, we've been pretty proud of what we've done. Yeah, no, definitely a very powerful use of technology. I see many different industries, so it's very, it makes me happy to see it, 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 it used uh, for such an important area of our culture and society. The I'm really interested in, in the crisis contact simulator. 
uh what was what was the need for this is uh for helping train and and bring people up to speed so that they could help out yeah yeah exactly so the crisis contact simulator again is an ai chatbot that we developed to um, provide simulated role plays that aspiring counselors can use to practice the skills they learned so pre prior to CCS or the Crisis Contact Simulator, all of our practice conversations for these aspiring counselors were led by instructors who would act as LGBTQ youth. So that we found was a, a large investment on our part of where we kind of concentrate our resources. Um, so conducting these role plays was taking a lot of time for our teams. So while we still have some instructor-led role plays, we were able to uh, replace uh, two of them with the crisis contact simulator. So yeah, this had like a, a multitude of benefits, including um, helping scale our training services. Um, so I think before the crisis contact simulator, we trained roughly 30 new counselors each quarter. And now with the crisis contact simulator and uh, and other initiatives that we've been we've implemented at Trevor, we now train a thousand digital digital volunteer crisis counselors last year, and yeah, this was uh, that increase was a result of a lot of projects, of which the crisis contact simulator was a key part of. Um, and yeah, so that's the role that CCS played for that. And we actually went through like a pretty extensive development process with google.org to uh, to build this AI chatbot. So google.org, which is Google's philanthropic arm, um, uh, provided us with uh, some funds and Google Fellows to help us build up uh, the C uh, CCS, and yeah, we 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 with them we used a bunch of different like we tried a bunch of different AI models. Um, we ended up with OpenAI's GPT two, um, and yeah, we were able to create realistic conversations um, in which the CCS acts as the LGBTQ youth. And through these realistic conversations, we have, um, like I said, yearly, a thousand digital uh, volunteer counselors uh, practice the skills they need before they talk to actual LGBTQ youth. Wow, what a what a positive use of, of AI. I would say a lot of the, I wouldn't say the, well, the majority of AI use cases I, I come across are some of them I'm I'm not very I don't feel are very positive. So did you know much about AI before this or what, what what's your general view of artificial intelligence? Were you skeptical of, of how it could be applied before this project or are you feeling feeling more optimistic about it now? Yeah, yeah. I really thanks for asking this. Um yeah, so I've been involved, personally, I've been involved in data science and machine learning and AI for a long time now. Um, I would say for me, CCS was um, 
definitely like the project that had the most uh, social impact. And again, I'm really proud to have been a part of a team. I'm really proud and really grateful to have been part of a team that has been able to um, to work on such a project. Um, yeah, with that being said, my view on AI right now is that it's, it's a tool, right? It's a tool, a powerful tool that helps empower its users. Um, with that being said, to me, I nowadays I really try to prioritize and I applaud um, use cases of AI uh, for social good. Because um, I think there's a lot of benefit to be gained from using AI in that manner. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. It makes me happy to see see uh, it used for social good because I think it gets used behind the scenes and has the opposite effect that and as people aren't always transparent. So I think um, it just makes me happy to see what what y'all are building with it. I want to want to focus on the technical before we come back out to the the uh, the people part of this. But why why did you choose GPT two as why as a core engine for this? What what thinking went into that? Yeah, so that's a great question. So just a bit of background on this topic. Um, GPT-2 is one of many models that are called la large language models. And large, large language models are a, a class of models, let's say, that one are really large. They uh, usually have like, over a billion parameters, um, and they're trained on a large training set. So GPT-2 in particular was trained on uh, eight, um, 8 million web pages or 40 gigabytes of internet text. And, um, and yeah, and the purpose of these large language models such as GPT-2 is so that once they're trained on um, this large training data set, uh, AI practitioners can then apply it to their own use cases. So getting to your question, why did we choose GPT-2? We actually tested several methods and several large language models. Um, we knew beforehand that each had their own strengths and weaknesses. And through that experimentation and iteration, we found that GPT-2 was able to both create realistic responses but also realistic responses throughout a conversation and with sufficiently long responses that mimicked what we see in actual crisis conversations. So yeah, to reiterate, like the use of GPT-2 came through a, a series of experimentation and iterations. And with that, we, um, with our team, we, uh, work to find what worked best for us. And yeah, that's how we came about with GT GPT-2. Yeah, sounds like a solid choice. Uh, I know it's some of the projects, it can be a little hard to understand the quality and what they do. They're a little black box. So I understand uh, the thinking that went into it. Y'all must have done your homework uh, to to get there. So it feels like with the project itself, do you feel like there's a, an opportunity to educate 
developers or even non-developers uh, in the LGBTQ community about positive uses of AI? Because I, I think we hear a lot of scary things about artificial intelligence in the in the press and in movies and other things. So do you think there's an opportunity to, to showcase the good that's possible? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love this topic. And short answer, yes, there's definitely an opportunity to kind of spread the word and to kind of educate others about um, positive use cases of um, uh, APIs and AIs, such as uh, CCS. So more, more in detail, like since we've implemented the Crisis Contact Simulator at Trevor, we've been super vocal about our work. So we've uh, talked to uh, numerous uh, publications, uh, visual media, uh, podcasts, including such as the one we're on right now. And we've been very um, explicit in uh, kind of demonstrating how AI can be used in a positive manner. Um, and yeah, so this has resulted in like a huge outreach initiative from from us. And yeah, again, like like I said before, we're really proud of what we've done and we definitely want to kind of show that to the world and yeah, to encourage others to do the same and to also help them help them do the same, to help them realize that yes, this is this is possible and this does have actual benefits and yeah, and we really want to help others envision how AI can be used in a positive way. Yeah, it's good to hear. I uh, I spend a lot of time around on this subject with APIs in, in particular, uh, really trying to showcase uh, positive use cases so that people don't focus on uh, the the negative that, that we're bombarded with in, in the space. But one of the things that I'm seeing, one of the trends that I'm seeing evolve is around product management and, and AI projects and API projects being treated as products, not just because we're, we're selling them, but because there's a, a need to focus on the human, center them and ground them more in the human part of, of doing this rather than focusing on just AI because it's cool or APIs because it's fun to build an API or whatever how does this actually solve a, a human need or a problem? So can you share a little bit about the product management process, like how, how you how you build this and how you're going to iterate upon it moving forward? Yeah. So I want to first start out by saying that our AI work is led by a diverse group of staff, including AI experts and engineers, um, product managers, software engineers, and so on and so forth. And definitely product the product management process is a vital uh, part of that. Um, so, so, so like speaking as an engineer, um, to me, like the product management process, our product management process is really important because it really helps understand and um, kind of come to a solution for stakeholder needs. So really stakeholders are at the center of our product management process. Um, so we really try to like develop a close relationship with stakeholders. So this would be like 
um, different teams throughout the organization, like uh, the training team, um, a team helping improve uh, the quality of our conversations, so on and so forth. So we would we develop a close relationship with these teams so that we can really understand, okay, what are the challenges that they're facing right now? Like, what are they thinking about? Like, what, um, yeah, what do they really want to solve right now? And, you know, our, our role as an AI team is to really think of, um, solutions which um, include AI that can perhaps uh, alleviate a lot of these challenges that they communicated to us. Um, and yeah, I think, like I said before, this requires like a cross collaborative process. You know, it requires like our product managers to be really, um, to have like this close relationship, to have a strong communication bridge with, uh, to understand like what's the situation, like what what kind of solutions are they like? Um, do they see, do our stakeholders see as feasible? Um, AI engineers such as myself would, you know, perform literature reviews to see, okay, like what's out there? What are the space of possible solutions? Um, we have software engineering to help understand like the, the really the backbone that kind of like, um, acts as the foundation for the products that we build. And we also do UX. Lastly, we also do UX research to really like understand more about like what, what people are thinking and like, um, to really get a uh, granular in that thought process. And yeah, so I think it's really cool that we all like all these different components are in play and come together in our in our development process at Trevor. Yeah, and and those characteristics I would say is what I see across the healthiest technology projects out there is it and they bring that human piece to the table and and make sure we're solving a, a human problem because otherwise the tech doesn't matter in any of this. So, what the that feedback loop with all the stakeholders, I'm assuming you're going to continue just using this process and, and this feedback loop to move forward and, and iterate on the project. It's not done, right? Yeah, for sure. It's not done. And definitely uh, the feedback process has definitely played a vital part in iterating and improving the crisis contact simulator, which is, I would say, one of the things on our roadmap. Um, so... Yeah, so like currently we are actively gathering feedback from um, as digital counselors use the crisis contact simulator to practice their skills. And we actually did have an iteration in which we used that feedback to improve the crisis contact simulator. So, so yeah, in the first, for example, in the first iteration of the crisis contact simulator, we actually got feedback that the AI chatbot wasn't answering um, all that well in like very specific cases. So like, while like these cases didn't represent the majority of cases, um, so like the, the, the cases that we got feedback on weren't the majority of cases, 
but definitely represented room for improvement for us. So when we actually, um, the second iteration's goal was to ex expand the usage of the crisis contact simulator, but we also took that opportunity to improve upon it uh, based on the feedback that we got. And yeah, and since implementing those changes, um, we've been definitely seeing a lot less of the, that type of feedback coming in. And, and yeah, and like, I think that's like one of the ways in which we kind of map out, okay, what are the next steps that we need to do for uh, CCS? Yeah, so important. So I noticed, you know, throughout this, I mean, you're here telling the story of this transparency seems to play a pretty significant role in how you how you build technology. Can you talk to me about the role that transparency plays in, in, in this? Yeah, so yeah, so transparency, I agree with you, transparency does play a big role in our projects. So for CCS in particular, um, I think this manifests in a variety of ways. So for one, we've maintained transparency like with our stakeholders. So like throughout the entire development process um, and even post-development, um, after we've deployed CCS, we've maintained close contact with the training team. So we've you know, been in communication with them about, okay, what are your needs? What do you, what does the conversation need to look like? Um, uh, like we just talked about, like how are we gonna get feedback on this? Um, and in addition to that, like what are we doing to kind of like develop this AI chatbot? And what are we doing to evaluate it? So I think there, uh, there was a, there's a conscious effort to maintain transparency with our stakeholders, um, with our stakeholders. I think yeah. there's also transparency with users. Um, so like before people engage in the conversation with uh, CCS, we actually let them know that, oh, you're talking to an AI chatbot, um, just so that they know that, okay, like, this is like a safe space to practice the skills that I learned. And it's not like, it's not an actual LGBTQ youth, nor is it an act actual instructor uh, that I'm talking to. So I think uh, transparency has played a role in those two ways for this project. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. And I would feel, I feel it's a model, not just for other AI projects to follow, but also for me, APIs, because what you describe your product management process, the feedback loop, this transparency, I feel like that kind of disclosure, this is all critical for, for more human-centered technology. This is how we're going to make it better serve us and not create dark spots or black boxes or things that make it hard for us to understand what technology do, does. So this is really important to me, I think, to, to share with our audience. So how is, how is CCS funded? How does, how does the project sustain itself? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the way it was initially funded was that in 2019, uh, the Trevor Project, our organization, we applied for Google's AI Impact Challenge, um, and through we won that challenge 
through our uh, proposal and through that, I guess, um, sorry, challenge, we won, uh, we were allotted 2.7 million in dollars in grants. And like I mentioned before, we actually received a full-time support from google.org fellows um, who we worked alongside for um, half a year for this project and um, half a year for uh, the two other AI initiatives that I briefly mentioned. Um, and, and yeah, like these Google fellows, uh, uh, they ranged from not just like software engineers, but UX researchers, uh, product specialists, and so on and so forth, and program managers. And yeah, they, in addition to the funds that we received, really helped us build a really strong initial project that we can iterate off of. Yeah, yeah. It's in, funding like that and grants and programs are important. The money's important, but that kind of support, I think, is is pretty critical for the, the success of these types of projects. What what does the roadmap look like? What's next for, for CCS as far as serving the community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think this is a really exciting question. So the two things that we're looking to do is, one, we're definitely looking to see how we can um, find more use cases for CCS within the Trevor project. So, you know, like I said before, uh, CCS is part of like our training cur curriculum. So we're really on the lookout uh, through conversations with stakeholders, how, how are different ways that we can use CCS to support our counselors? Like, you know, would it help to uh, use CCS to refresh counselor skills after they've been taking conversations for a while? Would it help to reinforce uh, specific skills uh, that we um, that we just developed and that we now want them to learn, uh, so on and so forth. So we've been um, yeah we've been talking to our stakeholders, like maintaining communication with them, and yeah again on the lookout for these types of use cases throughout the Trevor project. And the second thing is that we're also looking to UCCS to help other organizations outside of the Trevor project. So we've been talking to a number of organizations um, that you know may find a benefit and value in using CCS. So we've been talking to them and seeing what their needs are and if CCS would help them. And if so, like what that iteration of CCS would look like. And and yeah, that's been like really interesting conversations because that's like kind of like also loop backs to the topic about like educating others about the positive use cases of API. Yeah. Um, I think like really providing people uh, with this um, this AI chatbot would play a huge part um, in that. And yeah, so definitely I want to say that if if you see, um, you know, if you, the audience sees like any, uh, has resonated with anything that I said or sees like any benefit from using CCS, like uh, we're 
definitely looking for organizations that would want to engage in that conversation. Yeah, I think that's where the the power is really going to come and, and the impact's going to just exponentially grow. Because for me, and it's like you said, AI is just a tool. APIs are just a tool. And I'm the first to admit AI, APIs are, aren't actually the thing that matter. It's the connections, it's the relationships, it's the partnerships and the, the alliances that it brings. So I think that it's good to hear that that's a big part of your roadmap and your whole product management process your feedback loops, your approach to transparent AI, ethical AI practices. I think that's a model that will translate well for other organizations that want to get involved. So that's that's one way other organizations can get involved. But but what are other ways that individuals or uh, enterprise or startups can get involved in and help with what y'all are building? Yeah, yeah. So th- definitely thank you for that call out. So individuals can help and get more involved with the Trevor Project in three ways. So donate, volunteer, or join our team. So for donating, um, people's donations will help us um, in the multitude of initiatives that the Trevor Project has been um, and will be continuing. So this includes our advocacy efforts, um, training more and reaching more uh, training more counselors and reaching more LGBTQ youth. Um, it would also contribute to um, educating organizations through our uh, public training uh, that we provide. And yeah, we, you know, our work involves a mission that, a life-saving mission that really um, helps LGBTQ youth uh, really like with the crisis that crisis that they're facing. So secondly, uh, yeah, individuals can volunteer. So volunteers are the backbone of our crisis services, and they are they are a large part of the team that talks to LGBTQ youth that reach out to us. Um, and volunteers receive uh, extensive training um there's like a 40 hour of uh, virtual training um and the practice role plays and, and additional support that we provide to volunteers so um yeah so if you're thinking about volunteering like definitely know that um you, you won't be alone in these conversations and lastly uh we're we're growing we're we're hiring a lot um we're looking for a diverse set of candidates throughout um, our team, which is a uh, U.S. national team, so people can work remotely. And yeah, and all these things, okay. donating, volunteering, and joining our team, you can find them on our website, uh, org. And we'll share share links in the, note, in the show notes to help folks get there, but... Uh, I mean, a great cause, very important, but also the technology really leading leading edge progressive approaches to technology. So I think folks can get involved uh, for a variety of reasons um, and and volunteer or or help contribute to the work. I would you know put out there to all the enterprise organizations and startups, you know, definitely jump in and help sponsor 
uh, and and fund this work because it, it's definitely important. Um, well, I have one last question, and and if you'll indulge me, it's not wasn't on the list that I gave you, but um, does does Simon your cat dictate your your internet time at any point during the day? Because I'm a dog person, so my dog Poppy tends to dictate. By the end of the day, she tells me to get off the internet. But some of my coworkers, they're cat people, and their cat seems to kind of dominate and dictate their internet time. Does Simon do that for you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm nodding because that's a hard yes. Um, <laughs> so, so my computer setup is that my laptop is closed in front of me and I have it connected to these external monitors. So Simon lies down on my laptop because it's a heat source. So he's always like kind of monitoring my internet time. And yeah, like definitely like, I mean, it's kind of nice because he lets me know like, hey, like, You've been on the internet for a while. Like, let's hang out. And he's very, like, he's a very, um, someone has commented that he's a very gregarious cat. And I completely, like, agree with that. Like, he loves hanging out with people. So he won't be shy about, like, kind of giving me a tap on the shoulder. And, yeah, that's something that <laughs> I really like about him. It's good. It it shows that he really cares about you and, and has your best interests in mind. And I think... For me, my my dog Poppy, she definitely takes care of me and looks out after me, and I I need that because I'm not always the best at, at at being an advocate for myself. So, um, it it's good to hear that you have Simon doing that for you. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming here today and sharing your story. This has been very enlightening. Uh, I think hearing about the Crisis Contact Simulator as given me some renewed uh, energy when it comes to AI. So I'm, I'm impressed with what y'all are building and I appreciate you coming by and sharing. Yeah, thank you. And for sure, like, thank you for this conversation and uh, giving me the opportunity to share our, our work and, and yeah. Great. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, appreciate you being here. Thanks. You too. Thanks again to Taki for stopping by. For more on Taki, you can find, find them on LinkedIn and The Trevor Project at thetrevorproject.org. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane, and until next time, cheers. Cheers.